We're going to read now from the book of Romans. And uh, as you will know, we've been working through Paul's letter to the Romans. And today we're looking at where Paul is concluding his letter and sharing his plans. We're going to take it up from chapter 15, verse 5, and we're going to read through to verse 33. Verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through, and to have you assist me on my journey there, after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however... I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it 
and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Sneaking up behind you. Hi, everyone. Great to see you all. Uh, you can see that I've been on holidays. Uh, and <clears throat> I had um, uh, big plans for our holiday. Uh, two weeks ago, we went away. And on the first morning, I broke a bone in my foot. Uh, and so, you know, I've been hobbling. So my plans were not the same as God's plans, but I certainly got lots of rest uh, during my holiday. Now, see what I do? I do that, and now I'm going to trip over every time I do that. So anyway, we're, we're learning. Um, now, but I, I want to move, move beyond little plans to big plans, right? And I want to ask you, what is your big ambition in life? You know, you think about your overarching ambition in life. Now, it's interesting. Um, I don't think many people have a clarity to that. Um, I think if you ask people that question, try it this week. Uh, what's your life goal, your life purpose? Most people struggle. So most people have these little sort of uh, along-the-way plans, like I want to survive the HSC. You know, then I want to get a job, get married, have a family, buy a house, pay it off, you know, save for retirement, travel, all those sort of things. But the, and they're sort of short-term goals that do inspire. They do, you know, we do put up with a lot. Uh, we sacrifice to meet those goals. But none of those things is the overarching thing, is it? None of those things will actually sustain you from the cradle to the grave. Um, now, some people have big ambitions. So some people, you know, dream big. You know, I want to become a world leader in something. But I want to give you a few examples of uh, kind of... Because I don't, I don't think even those big goals, they won't do it for you. Uh, look at these. Here's some celebrities. This is Jim Carrey, right? Got to the top of his field in acting and comedy. I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. There you go. You've heard it from him. Uh, next one. Uh, Jack Higgins, world-leading author, uh, and uh, you know he gets to the top of his field, and he says, "Well, I just wish someone had have told me that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. Isn't that devastating? You know, pouring your life into a pursuit, thinking that's what life's all about, and then you go, oh, there's not actually anything there. Um, have a look at this one. Uh, Boris Becker, one of my childhood heroes, won Wimbledon." got to the top at 17 years old. 
I had everything and yet I was so unhappy, I had no inner peace, I was a puppet on a string. Or the last one, Nick Farr-Jones, the poor wallabies, hey? Uh, but uh, he wins the World Cup, there he is receiving the World Cup from the Queen and he said, uh, in, 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 the, in the hours after, after working your butt off and realising this had been the focus of your life, there's a sense of, is that all? And is that as good as it gets? Holy moly. Uh, so, so big dreams, and even when people reach them, they're not the answer. Now today, I want to set before you a big ambition, uh, a lifetime ambition, a, a, an ambition that will energise and inspire you throughout your life. And this is an ambition, whether you're a toddler, uh, you know, listening in, <laughs> you're on the live stream, whether you're a toddler or a kid, all the way through to retiree and everyone in between, today God will put before each one of us a goal that is worth living for and dying for, a goal that will stir us to courage, uh, that will get us out of bed in the morning with a sense of, I know what my life is on about. Uh, a goal to fill us with direction and passion. See, we're coming out today to Romans chapter 15. And um, if you're just joining us for the first time today, it's great to have you here, but we've been on a six-month journey. In fact, I'm going to look back on this year and all the, you know, the struggles that have happened under COVID, but I'm going to look back and just go, wow, what a blessing that God led us as a church family through this wonderful part of his word. Uh, and it really has been a, a great joy and a privilege for me to be able to uh, preach these passages. But we're coming to the end, Romans 15. Next week uh, will be the final kind of greetings and salutations and so on. But what we see in chapter 15 is Paul describing the plans that he has to come and visit the Roman church and then move on to Spain. But as he talks through his plans, we actually see what lies beneath his plans, and that is this, this overarching ambition that he has. And I want to say, as we hear, as we listen to Paul's ambition, we ought to be stirred in our own hearts because this ought to be our ambition as well. You want to know what it is? Can you guess what it is? Right? Well, let me put it, put it on the screen for you. The big ambition to see God get the praise he deserves. There it is. And listen, I want you to listen to how passionate Paul is about God's glory in this passage. You know, you can, sometimes the words just sort of drip over you. But look at verse 6. You know, his goal in, in trying to bring unity to the church in Rome, his goal is that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about praise and glory of God. Verse 7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. That's the big goal. Verse 8, I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed 
And moreover, that the Gentiles, the nations, might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I'll praise you among the Gentiles. I'll sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the nations, all the peoples, extol him. Can you see that it's just oozing out of Paul? This desire, this passion to see all people, not only his own race, the Jews, but all nations. You know, I, I see that picture in Revelation chapter 5, you know, where people from every nation are gathered singing the praise of Jesus and of God into eternity in the new creation. Uh, and that's the goal that captured Paul and gave him a drive and a sense of purpose and a willingness to sacrifice throughout his life. You see, I want to take you back to Romans 1, where it all began. And Romans 1 spells out the tragedy of the human race. And the tragedy of the human race is that we are created by God, God gives us every good thing, and yet we do not praise him, we do not thank him, we do not honour him. Romans chapter 1, verse 23. Although they knew God, there's that instinctive sense, yes, there is a creator, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. God, as creator, is the giver of every good thing, and he gives and gives and gives, and we take and take and take, but we never, humanity as a whole, never acknowledges the giver, never says, thank you, God. You are so awesome. You are so worthy of our praise. And there is, there is the great tragedy of the human race, created by God for relationship to him, but we rob God the glory that he deserves. But that's only Romans chapter 1. Uh, and the story of Romans is not only God the creator, but God the saviour. And so in spite of that thankless rejection of God, God sends his son into our world, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die as a sacrifice, to bring us forgiveness, to bring us a fresh start. And so that as we come to him, the price has been paid. You know, the, the sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. And more than that, we are now accepted by God, filled with his spirit. We're welcomed into his family as his children. He embraces us. And he gives us this certain hope as we head towards the future. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to remind you of Romans 8, right at the end of the chapter, verse 38. I'm convinced that neither, I hope you almost know this by heart, I think I know it by heart, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor the present, nor the future, <laughs> nor, or, nor anything else, is that it? Neither height nor depth, no, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation is able to separate us 
from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even us who had sinned against him, wow, he has, he has been so loving and he's done such a thing that we can never be separated from his love. Uh, doesn't that just, when you grasp that, it should bring forth in praise. How can you not praise God for what he's done if you get it, if you understand just his, his awesome love towards us? I wonder if you've ever, like I'm sure you have, but think back to a time when you were part of a crowd that erupted in kind of spontaneous applause, like a standing ovation, maybe a concert. I, I, I remember a football game uh, back about 15 years ago, it was the Sydney Swans in the semi-final playing Geelong at the SCG. And I went along with a friend. Tim's feeling bad at this point because uh, he goes for Geelong, right? Anyway, so I went along. It was a dreary game, low scoring. Some people started to head home in the middle of the fourth quarter. It had just been a disappointing night, right? but they were, they were wrong, right? Because uh, what happened is one of the swans, uh, miraculously, he did, I can't even do it, like, I, right, he swung his foot around over his shoulder, you know, about 30 metres out, kicked a goal. And we thought, oh, that's, that's good, it's a bit too late, but that's good. Now, Nick Davis it was, right? And then he does it again and again. And we start to think, wow, they could do it. And so, unanswered, he, in the final seconds of the game, this one guy, Nick Davis, kicked a fourth goal over his... Same thing, right? Do you want to see it again? Right? Over, <laughs> right, over his shoulder. And we won. And then the buzzer went off, and the whole crowd just kind of rose to their feet, screaming, cheering, hugging one another, even if we didn't know each other, right? Just, and and on, on the way home, we just talked that game up, and it was like, that was awesome. Uh, and then two weeks later, they went on to win their first premiership since before World War II. Uh, so it had been a long time coming. Um, now, imagine you're part of that crowd, but, and when everyone else erupts in, in cheer, you're just sitting there, silent, on your seat. Right? You'd be... If I saw someone doing that, it'd be like, what's wrong with you? Are you going for the other team? You know, there he is, right? You, you must be going for the other team because how can you not celebrate what has just taken place? Um, now, when you take hold of the beautiful, life-changing good news of Jesus... That's what it evokes in you. This is why church is so weird at the moment. Don't, don't get me wrong, I love coming to church at the moment, but it is weird, isn't it? Imagine saying to that crowd, uh, look, you can come along, watch the game, but you can't cheer. Right? It's like breaking your leg. It's like, it's just a, how can you do that to someone? Because it just, that's what it's about, being part of that moment. And yet, anyway, that, it's kind of, that's what church is at the moment. So thank you so much, Jenny and the crew, 
for leading us, for singing praise on our behalf. Uh, and I, I hope you haven't noticed too much. Sometimes I actually forget and I break out uh, in song. But that's what the love of God and his forgiveness and his mercy ought to do for us. It ought to lead us to praise. That's the, that's the right, obvious, it ought to be our instinctive response. Burst forth in song together. But here's the thing. As we leave this place and go out into our community, we step into a world that never praises God. And that ought to strike us as a tragedy. A world created by God and loved by God. A world where God has sent his own son to die for sin and he's paid the price. For that world not to praise God is a complete tragedy. And it's, it's either that they just don't know, which is a tragedy in itself, isn't it? How could people not know this? Or they do know, and, they, and for some reason they're refusing to come to him. But uh, it ought to grieve us. See, when Paul stepped into our world, he was grieved. Now, you read Acts 17, and he looks at all the idols, and he's, just, he's grieved to the heart that, that the true God doesn't get the recognition that he deserves. And, and Paul's driving ambition was to see men, women, and children from every nation gathered into eternity in the new creation, praising God, recognising God as worthy as he is. So that ambition shaped his life, and we're going to think about how it shapes our life as well. So how did this ambition shape Paul's life? Well, firstly, he was a priest, right? and it's not what you expect. Right? Uh, this is, it's an interesting chapter. I've puzzled over this chapter for a while now. Uh, we don't expect Paul to say, I'm a priest, but that's what he says. Verse 15, I've written quite boldly because of the, the grace God gave me, verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to think for a moment. In the Old Testament, you had the, the sacrificial system and you would bring your offering to the priest who would then uh, offer it, you know, kill the, the animal, offer it on your behalf to God. Now, if you've been with us in uh, the book of Romans, you know that Jesus is our high priest and he has offered the one true, all-sufficient sacrifice for sin when he died on the cross. Uh, and as we put our trust in him, so our sin is washed clean. So there's no, you know, when he said it is finished, the sacrificial system's over. No more sacrifices for sin is required. Anyone who tries to bring a sacrifice for sin other than Jesus, well, now that is an offence to God because he has done 
all that is needed to deal with our sin. So when Paul talks about his priestly role of offering sacrifices, he's not talking about sin offerings, is he? What is he talking about? You can get involved here. Well, what sort of sacrifice has Paul got in mind? Not a sin offering, but what other offerings were there in the Old Testament? Thanksgiving? Free will offering? An offering of praise? Yeah, remember this. Sin offerings were not the only thing. So what would happen is you'd offer, you'd, you'd have your sin dealt with through the sin offering, but then there was the free will offerings, uh, the fellowship offerings, the offerings where you say, wow, God has been so good to me, I just want to thank him. Uh, and I want to get my family and friends together. It's a fellowship offering. I want to celebrate God's goodness. Now, that's, the, that's Paul's role not, not sacrifices for sin, but bringing the nations as a thanksgiving, a free will offering to God. Not, not animals anymore, but people, men, women and children. Lives surrendered to God and devoted to his glory. That was Paul's priestly role. And notice his priestly ministry begins with proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus. Verse 16, he talks about the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. All right, this good news of Jesus that is at the heart of the letter of Romans, Paul proclaimed that gospel for a purpose. And the purpose was he wanted to save people. He wanted to see people converted but his purpose went way beyond that, didn't it? He wanted to see people converted, established, matured, so that ultimately they would be part of that great crowd singing the praises of God into eternity. Ultimately, Paul's purpose was praise. But it started with the proclamation of the message of Jesus. Two unique aspects of Paul's ministry <coughs> was his power and authority, firstly, his power, verse 19. He talks about how by signs and wonders, through the Spirit of God... Uh, see, when you look at Jesus and his apostles and the Apostle Paul, there is a uniqueness to their power and authority. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit as Christians, but there's a kind of a wow factor to the ministry of the apostles uh, that really was unique to them. Uh, supernatural miracles that authenticated their ministry as they broke new ground for the kingdom of God. Uh, so he, he does it with a unique power, but also there's something unique about him as a pioneer, breaking new ground uh, as part of this new era of salvation. So look at verse 19. He says, From Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Now let's show you on the map. Uh, have we got it there? All right. So there's a map of the Roman Empire. And Jerusalem is not there, but Judea uh, is the region. Jerusalem's in Judea. All the way around to Illyricum, 
Paul says, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ in that region. And you think, wow, that's a massive area. Like, almost half the Roman Empire. And you think, how can he... How can that claim... What does he mean when he says, I've fully proclaimed it? Because he's saying, the job's done there, and now I'm moving on to Spain. Uh, How is it that he, with integrity, can say, the job's done from Jerusalem to Illyricum, now it's time for me to move on? Uh, Again, I'm puzzled with this. Um, here Here is what I think's going on in Paul's mind. He didn't preach to every single person in that region but what he did is he is he went into each region and you know strategic locations preached the gospel saw people converted established them in the faith then he appointed leaders and planted churches and moved on Uh, He didn't see his role as converting every single person in the region. He was happy to leave the churches to that. Uh, What Paul's role was to break the new ground, to go into a new region, convert people, establish them, raise up leaders, plant churches, and leave them to it, and then move on. Um, And so having completed his work in Jerusalem to Illyricum, if you read verse 24... His plan was to go to Spain on the far western edge of the Roman Empire and establish churches there. Uh, He never made it, as far as we can see, Um, but that's another story. In all of this, what was his overriding ambition? You know it now. What was his overriding ambition? He wanted God to get the praise he deserves to see God get the glory and praise he deserves. Uh, Verse 16, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God. That was Paul's role uh, in God's plan of salvation. There's something unique about it, but there is also a lot that is transferable about it for us. But I want you to notice that ambition gripped him, didn't it? It, it drove him on. It, it, when he woke up in the morning, he knew what his life was about. And he kept stepping forward courageously, relentlessly, to that goal. Uh, and we look back and say, wow, what an extraordinary thing God did through him. Taking the Jewish gospel to the nations. And we are recipients of that, aren't we? Because here we are on the other side of the world and we're still learning from Paul. He still, as a priest, is preaching the gospel to us so that we might be presented holy and blameless before God. Now I want to ask, look, that ambition ought to be something that grips and shapes our lives as well. Is there any reason that that doesn't apply to us? The answer is no, before you think too hard, right? No reason. <clears throat> so, let me think. I, I want to unpack what does that ambition look like in our lives? And the first point is this. We are priests. But, you know, I, I, I had that. And during this last night, you know, sometimes I do a lot of 
sermon prep in my sleep. Uh, it's, 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 it's quite a gift, actually. I'm serious. I'm serious. Uh, anyway, and so I was thinking, oh, we are priests. I just wasn't comfortable with it last night. You're, not, you're, not, you're kind of comfortable, aren't you, Darren? I'm looking at kind of comfortable. Let, he's thoroughly comfortable. Okay, well, I'm not thoroughly comfortable. And, and this, I think I'm going to express it how I think is better. We are worshippers and priests. Right? But you know what I've done? Can you see the subtle thing that I've done? It's not so subtle. Right? Worship is big, priests are small. Now, and, and this, is, this is shaped by the, the, the letter of the Romans, right? Paul's letter to the Romans, that we are worshippers first. And that is, Jesus is our high priest, isn't he? He's offered the one true sacrifice on our behalf so that as we come to him, and put our faith in him. That's it. We put our faith in him and we receive the blessings of his one, true, costly, all-sufficient sacrifice. What a blessing. Right, and so we need to come to Jesus as worshippers, receiving the blessings of his ministry. And even with Paul... Um, Paul wants us, as we read Romans, to be worshippers. And so remember chapter, um, chapter 12, verse 1, what does it say? In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Right? So, that, so Jesus is our high priest. He has, <clears throat> he has offered the sin offering. Now Paul continues that ministry by preaching the gospel and his goal is that we will bring our lives to offer them to God as a living sacrifice. And I reckon the first, you know, we've got to start there. Coming to Jesus and having received forgiveness, then offering our lives in wholehearted service. Now, see, this, this big ambition that God gets the praise he deserves... It starts in my life and your life. It starts when we look at our life goals and we recognise, yeah, they might be okay, but they're small. They're not the big one. And we go, my big one, my big life ambition is that God would get the praise he deserves because Nothing else deserves to be your life ambition. But that is a worthy, a worthy goal. Uh, and so I want, I want to challenge you, you know, with your little short... Sorry, I, I shouldn't be belittling, but with, you know, career, house, retirement, travel, all those sort of things, put them in their place. Don't become consumed by those things as if they were the big thing. Because they're not. The big thing is a life lived in wholehearted praise and worship. Um, remember the song? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Um, so, yes, we are worshippers, but we're also priests. But I put it in small, small letters because we're not priests in the same calibre of Jesus or even of the Apostle Paul. There was a uniqueness even about the Apostle Paul. And yet, 
God has placed us in such a place where we stand between an unbelieving world and God and we bring the message of salvation that can bring them forgiveness and that can lead them to a life of praise. Um, so we are priests offering our own bodies to God, worshippers and priests. What's the next one? Committed to the proclamation of the good news of God. Now notice again I've subtly changed the language. You know, you've got to stay with me here um, because we will proclaim the good news but we're also doing this as a church community. Uh, and so what we can do is not, we, we don't have to all be frontline preachers. Look at this invitation you received, right? Bring people along for Good News Week and Christmas. You can actually invite so that others, people in our region, men, women and children who do not know Jesus, can hear the message. Because the important thing is not, not exactly who speaks it, but that it is heard and that people come to faith in Jesus. So the, so, and at the very least, get out there and put these things in letterboxes. I think, have we got the opportunity to do that today? Is that what we're doing? No. Okay. Well, at the very least, put it in the hand of a friend, right? COVID safely and all that sort of stuff. Um, so uh, we can be committed to the proclamation of the good news of Jesus even by inviting people to come and hear this wonderful news of Jesus and learning to speak of your own story of what God has done for you, uh, learning to be able to declare the praises of God for yourself. So big challenge over the next month, who will you invite to come and hear the good news uh, over the next six weeks or so? And remember, the gospel saves and transforms. So verse 14, Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. So what it's saying is that we not only come here to church to hear the word of God proclaimed, but we come here to speak it to one another. You know, and so this is why I think physical gatherings are so valuable, one of the reasons. And that is we hear the word of God, but then over morning tea, we go out and we press in into one another's lives and we pray for one another. And this is why growth groups are such an essential part of our church life, because we want to not only hear the word, but proclaim it to one another. And Paul says, I'm convinced you're competent to do that. Um, <clears throat> now, at the end of the chapter, Paul talks about a couple of other ways that we can be involved. And so I've said uh, with, what, what have I said? Through, oh, through, <laughs> gee, that wasn't deliberate. Uh, so through partnership and prayer is what it should say, right? Through partnership and prayer. Because at the end of the chapter, which I won't, I won't go there right now, but Paul talks about two other expressions of how we can be committed to the proclamation of the good news. One is um, through partnership, and he's talking about financial partnership. So he talks about how the Gentiles have received the blessing of the gospel from the Jews, so in return, they ought to give financially to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. 
Uh, and so there's a real practical edge, isn't there? That as we're committed to the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, it leads to partnership. And the other thing right at the end of the chapter is that it leads to prayer, uh, where Paul invites them to join the struggle with me in prayer. He said in verse 30. Okay. Now, in all of that, we mustn't let go of that big ambition to see God get the praise he deserves. And the big challenge for us this morning is put aside your little goals in life. And I'm not saying you don't achieve anything in life. You know, there are, those little goals are important and valuable, but put them in their place. They're secondary. Here's the big one. To see God get the glory he deserves, and we live in a world where we get, we get numb to it. We, we lose that grief that God doesn't get the praise he deserves. But think of it like this. You know, the, the grand final... And the t- your team wins and everyone in the crowd just stays silent. And you go, no, that, that is not right. That is, something has gone wrong at that point. Uh, and God wants to give us a, a burning desire for his glory, for his praise, and to see that flow through in the practical details of our lives. And, and Paul has really passed the baton on to us, hasn't he? The church has been planted. Now the job of reaching this region and to see God get the praise he deserves, it's in our hands. Uh, And so let's take that to heart. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, you are the giver, the giver of every good thing. Every blessing flows from you. We are sorry that we don't give you the praise and thanks you deserve. We're sorry that we can so often get caught up in our own small goals and selfish ambitions. Father, we want to thank you for your amazing love that in spite of our sin, you sent your son to save us, forgive us, cleanse us. You made us your children, adopted us. You've given us a certain hope of resurrection to eternal life. And Father, we pray that even now you will transform us so that even now we might live our lives for your praise, that we will offer our bodies as living sacrifice. Here today we do that. We offer our lives as a free will offering to you. Here today we commit to your saving work of proclaiming the gospel the good news of Jesus, to a people in our community who desperately need to hear it. Father, give us courage, perseverance, generosity, and prayerful hearts as we play our part in your work. Please stir our hearts towards this end by your Spirit. Use us for your praise. Gather us into your eternal kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.